Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. And what a week it's been in Boston sports, John. I'm so elated and pumped, and I'm just a, an emotional wreck for the last couple of days. I'll tell you, watching Paul Pierce hit that shot in the final, what, they subbed him in with like 19.8 seconds left. Isaiah backs off, lets him hit it from straight away downtown. Beautiful. And then I know we're not a Patriots show, but all I'm going to say is you got to go onto my Twitter feed and look at my exchange with a neighbor, greatest comeback of all Super Bowl history, uh, was just amazing, John. So I know there's not all Patriots fans, I mean, listening, and I'll, I'll pay respect to that and back off, but, man, if you're a 100% New England sports supporter, it's just the, the afterglow right now. It's amazing. It's absolutely, positively, ridiculously amazing. You know, usually we record Sunday nights uh, sometimes, and you guys get it the next morning when you turn on. So apologize for a bit of a delay. But, look, I think everyone understands with what a day we had here Sunday. First, you know, kicking it off, spending my whole morning basically <laughs> going down a wormhole of watching old, you know, 2008 Celtics clips and 2002, uh, you know, Pierce leading the comeback against the Nets and just all of the, the history, goosebumps up and down my arms. It was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And then to watch that game. And the you know, Celtics played well. Pierce, great entry. All great interviews beforehand. Scal had a great one on CSN. It was disappointing to not see Tommy and Mike being able to call this game. I think ABC did a poor job of, of really capturing the moment for those of us who really wanted to, to see this through Paul Pierce's eyes. But boy, great job by CLNS Radio, uh, to get all that video. And really, that was really the only way a lot of us as Celtics fans were able to watch that. So if you haven't seen the video, kudos. Go, go down to the CLNS Radio page on YouTube.com and, and check it out. It's great stuff. Uh, but, Go hey, not only that, that yeah. too, though, when you talk about the coverage, yeah. uh, Larry H. Russell and the entire production team did a great job. I know Jared Weiss did the voiceover for it, but leading up to Paul Pierce's return, you really have to go to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Radio, because there was an enormous amount of content uh, to cover that whole return. And like you said, Getting that video montage that they broke in after what the first time out yeah. after Pierce had, had run for almost five minutes was really awesome. The captain in tears, the former Celtics captain in tears, definitely trying to hide it. You know what else though, John? We've got to give Doc Rivers some props. I know a lot of criticism for Doc out there, but man, he is a big part of Paul Pierce's return and Paul Pierce's legacy. Because he was a coach for that whole entire time that they were making the run with the second version of the big three. And I, I always had a soft spot for Doc. And I know you, you've got a little bit more of an edge for him. <laughs> but you have to give him mad props. Not just because he put, you know, we all knew he was going to put Pierce back in the game. I just mean how sentimental he was and the way that he had the Clippers players take notice. It's just really something how he added to uh, to Paul Pierce's final game in Boston. He did. He did. Credit credit where it's due, and certainly we remember Doc's return to Boston and tears in his eyes and seeing the montage and a great job by the Celtics staff, uh, Sean Sullivan and, and all those guys who do in-game stuff. Amazing. Amazing work. Capturing the moment, but give it up to the Celtics fans showing up, giving proper respect to a player who's given so much to those of us who've watched him since his first day 19 years ago, uh, or seven, excuse me, 18 years ago, and starting out as a Celtic, and here here we are, this time, all these years later, a championship in tow. I mean, it was it was just an amazing day. And then we go through the game, a really unremarkable start, but that finish, that three-pointer, 
hadn't scored it ever, hadn't hadn't been shut out ever at the Boston Garden, and ends it on a three from pretty far out, pretty far out on that shot. I mean, it just chills. There were tears. There were tears in my house. So I look over. My wife was not really into the. I mean, she she's a basketball fan. She played sport and everything. She's sitting there next to me sobbing. I'm like, oh my goodness. But it was, it was emotional, you know, to see them go out like that and all he had done for this team, this franchise, this fan base. It was remarkable. I mean, I just, I still, I'm getting, I'm literally getting chills as I'm just recounting this here. What a, what an opportunity there. And, and that was great. And then of course, Sunday night, <laughs> talk about highs and lows. And then the ultimate high on that end. I mean, as again, as a Patriots fan here, I've got to admit uh, that was that was an, an un, an, a remarkable day in so many respects. It's one I'm never going to forget. No, and interestingly, you may remember good friend Eric Weiss from uh, from Draft Express. It was his birthday, and an interesting week for statistical anomalies too, because Pierre started his career in a lockout-shortened season, the same day that he plays his last game in Boston was actually his very first start with the Boston Celtics. So February 5th, just such an interesting, interesting date tied to Boston sports. He shows up in town. He's wearing his Patriots gear. And on Friday night, the Celtics face the other legendary franchise in the NBA, the Los Angeles Lakers, tied for the most franchise wins in history. And, of course, the Celtics get the tiebreaker on that by winning uh, convincingly on Friday. They go 4-0 this week. You called it. I said I thought they were going to lose one of the games. Probably should have lost the Clippers game. <laughs> I'm going to hat tip to Doc yeah. on that one, too. Because <laughs> I, I really feel like you almost mismanaged it in a way. Uh, they really should have pounded Boston on the boards, but he, he allowed the emotions to run through the team, and I think it helped benefit the Celtics a little bit. But they do go 4-0, and it really was just a, an absolutely crazy week, statistically, statistically speaking, uh, but, it in, but a really fun week. I mean, the Raptors was a game that I thought for sure was going to give the Celtics a ton of trouble, and it was kind of ugly, and uh, really... You get over the hump against the Raps, finally. Now, of course, DeMar DeRozan didn't play. Jalen Brown's had a nice week. I wanted to see Jalen on DeMar DeRozan. We didn't get that. But they did beat the Raps, so that was nice. Then you have the tiebreaker against the Lakers, and then you have the homecoming. Just, I don't think we're going to top what we just saw over the last week. We won't top it again until the postseason this year. I think, yeah, the the Raptors game was was important. I think that was I'm not saying it was the biggest win of the year, but I think it might be for where the Celtics are right now, maybe the most important. One obviously it put Brad Stevens in the position to coach the All-Star game, which you know, it doesn't really help you to win a playoff game this year, but it's maybe sets the tone for some future things that we'll talk about a little bit later in the show, but also it solidifies the Celtics that, hey, you know what? You can beat the Raptors. Celtics were, were without <laughs> Avery Bradley that night. You know, I mean, it's, this is not, I mean, yes, DeMar DeRozan, the, the all-star starter, the guy who's killed the Celtics over and over and over again did not play. So, you know, in some respect, you do have to, you know, put that asterisk out there, but it kind of goes both ways. Avery Bradley not being there does not, you know, help the Celtics. It shortens their rotation. But as we saw once again, and I think we've seen throughout this seven-game winning streak now that the Celtics are on, we're now seeing that Jalen Brown, your guy, I'm not going to say it's my guy. I'm not going. I'm going to give man. that to you. He is my man. He's your he's your guy. Uh, mad respect to that guy because he is he's shown himself to be not just a legitimate a rotation player, but a guy who's continuing to show the, the the upper reaches of his potential. You always see one or two plays every game where it's like he puts a couple more of these things together and you can see a momentum to his, his upward mobility as a player and his production that makes you really think that by the end of the year, he's going to be at one level 
and then boy, next year. I mean, it's there's he he's setting the stage for really a breakout season here. Uh, you know, kind of going through the first summer into year two. I really am loving his progression and where he's helping this team as they're you know on the in the middle of this amazing winning streak. Yeah, I love Jalen Brown. And real quick, just a reminder. I'm going to get into Jalen a little bit more in depth here in a second, but a reminder to follow us on Twitter. I'm at CSL underscore Justin. You can follow John at CSL underscore Duke. All right, so now we're going to talk about Jalen Brown because I want to get into it a little bit. I did not expect him to really come into his own until after the All-Star break. I certainly never expected him to get a stretch of games where he was starting, not on this team not without a major injury like this. Somebody, Jay Crowder would have been the one that would have come to mind for me if we did see Jalen get some run uh, as a starter. And that's not the case. He's, he's earned this opportunity. Yes, there are still some brain farts. There's some lapses. But that baseline spin move was absolutely incredible uh, against the Clippers. It was filthy. The other thing that I shouted out earlier in this experiment with him in the starting lineup was he still kind of continues to go up into the shot as he's getting contact. So I said maybe about a week and a half ago, once Jalen is smart enough to take the contact and then follow through with the shot, those those are going to turn into more and ones instead of just two free throws. And we remarked that his free throw shooting had improved, and it certainly has. He's been shooting, I saw a stat, I think, I can't remember who put it out, but he was up to 91% over like the last month or month and a half, something like that, in free throw shooting. So there had been a, a marked moment in time where that had jumped up. But all of a sudden, towards the end of this past week, he has started to take that contact before finishing his shot which is just going to do wonders. It's going to you want to talk about that baseline spin being filthy. He is going to go the, he is going to the free throw line almost at the same rate as Isaiah Thomas and they need somebody else on this team who can produce points in that fashion. That's the biggest thing going to me right now is the fact that that his his the the steps that he's taking right now to go from from where he is to, you know where he started the season to now to where he's got a niche you know he has a, there's a role that he can play that he can fit in uh that that is just it's something that the, he can not only build on in the future but if he had gotten to this point by the let's say the playoffs i mean i would consider that that's that, that's beyond my wildest dreams Really, has you know, seeing what we saw in college from him, which it was admittedly not a whole heck of a lot, to a guy who can consistently get to the line and an attack, you know, NBA defenses to a not a devastating degree, but to a, a, a consistent level. No matter who it is, no matter where it is, he's finding a way to get to the bucket. The fact that he's at that point now without really having the opportunity to, to work on his craft and figure those things out, because I agree with you. It's surprising to me we're even at the situation, we're in the situation we are with him. The fact that he's here now, where could he get to by the time we're at the playoffs? I mean, I, I'm not saying he's going to be a 10-point-a-night a, a guy, you know, here from here to the playoffs, but this is a guy who could make some noise in a playoff series. He could be a guy who, who really challenges. And what's also interesting, and you brought it up last week, Justin, is the issue of being the shooting guard. And the, that, you know, I was not a big fan of him playing a power forward. I thought that was miscast. I thought of him really as a, as a bigger wing. And him being that bigger shooting guard, I'm not saying it necessitates the need to move Avery Bradley. I don't think we're at that point yet. Not, and, and I think we need Avery Bradley. We need as many wings as we can. It's certainly interesting to see this team play with a bigger shooting guard on the floor next to Isaiah. And I don't think that... They need the length. I think They that can't be that small. And we already know Marcus really... Look at when they stop putting him at small forward, how, more, how much more productive he is running the offense in the point guard slot coming off the bench. That, there's a reason, and it's a pretty simple one, and Brad already explained he wants to keep that continuity 
off the bench with Smart and Olenek coming in. But that is really important that he is at the point guard and not taking the slot of Avery Bradley at the two while Avery's out. But it does mask. And it's not just the length. It's also the athleticism that Jalen brings matched up with the length because he's got not only the ability to close the gap because he's a longer player, but he also can get there quicker. So I think he masks some of, of Isaiah Thomas's defensive liabilities way better than Marcus Smart or Avery Bradley can possibly do. I do think Avery may find himself as a potential trade piece. The only problem is, is now he's missed, what, 14 out of the last 15 games? Yeah. You know, I know people haven't forgotten how good Avery Bradley is, but it is never a good time to trade a player when they're injured and people start to wonder about durability and that whole recency bias and not having seen him play could hurt his value. So there's a good chance he doesn't get moved, but he's a movable piece, and I don't think we would have said that quite so easily a year ago. I And I, and I would... I, I truly believe that. I think he's always been the player who you most likely want to trade. Uh, he's not been... I'm not saying I'm down on him. That, that that would be overstating it. But I think that if there's a redundant piece or a piece that perhaps doesn't as fit as, the well, as well as the rest of the pieces do, it's Bradley. Bradley's the guy who doesn't seem to have... Uh, he does a lot of good things. He can shoot. He can play. He can defend like a like a pit bull. But uh, I would like to have some a bit more size there. If I'm gonna have a guy a wing who uh, who's gonna who can get shot over the top of, let that be Marcus Smart who can who can maybe bully ball and can and can push back a little bit. You know, if if you had a bigger point guard, for example, let's say your point guard was six five. I'd love to have Avery Bradley sitting next to him. He guards the the point guards on the other end. Maybe you know he uses his shooting and defense. I mean, I think that that's that's a great compliment for him. Unfortunately, on this team, I feel like you know he he was he's asked to do a lot at the beginning, and hopefully that raises his his value across the league. But I don't think other teams value Avery Bradley as highly as the Celtics do. I think that the Celtics. For what they've had to do, they value him quite highly, and I don't think other teams they see the limitations in terms of height, regardless of whether he was first team all defense last year, and don't see that as 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 big of a value as as perhaps we do. And and I think his contract situation, being eligible for an extension this upcoming summer, makes him really somebody who you want to have a target on, and somebody who may not want to uh, extend. And so now's the time you may have to move on from him. It also allows you to make a trade and take him back some salary this year, this spring, and, and address an area of need. Maybe it's a guy like, uh, you know, I'm just trying to think of Biggs, you know, Nerlens Noel. You know, he's a guy who uh, who you could get back here and and fits your your big rebounder that that you that can defend but a shot blocker and the shot, shot blocker. blocker exactly because that's the other piece you have somebody like Jalen at the two with the athletic length and then you have an athletic center shot blocker rebounder like Noel those two pieces will definitely help mask any Isaiah Thomas concerns i think the only problem there is and I'd say it was a big problem, except that, you know, we already have it in Amir Johnson as an offensive liability. Ultimately, you'd rather have a player who could also add some scoring and keep things spread out uh, the same way like when Olenek comes into the game. But Brad could always use, he can always, you know, do the matchups the way that he needs to, to create spacing or whatever he's trying to accomplish. But it would be nice to have more in one package if you're going to trade Avery Bradley that you're you're consolidating talent and upgrading at a position and I I do think Noel would be an upgrade I'm just a little concerned that he still doesn't bring quite enough offensively to to really get where I think Isaiah Thomas could could even have less responsibility and things open up even more but you know that's that may be asking too much I don't think it's fair to Avery Bradley that we even have this conversation. A lot of the question, like you mentioned, or a lot of maybe a lot of the argument, not the question, but the argument is just around fit. And I think other teams that would be looking to acquire him would look at it the same way. Some teams are going to see the six foot two 
and say what you said, that, that maybe that's not a good fit for us. But another team might look at him and say, hey, this guy is a defensive stopper, and you know he would look really good next to like a Russell Westbrook. I mean, he would be a very nice compliment to Russ. So it just depends on the team and, and what they have already, I think, before you can, you know, before you say they don't value him as much. The problem is everybody knows the Celtics have more guards than they can handle. I'm just not sure. I'm not sure they're going to see a return on the investment. The other unfair sort of uh, stat statistic that makes it seemingly easier to trade Avery and, again, is not fair to him but the defensive turnaround has come about in his absence, John. That's right. That's absolutely true. I mean, I, I, and I think that's related to height, and it's and it's related, and in part that's related to the improved rebounding with Jalen Brown on the floor. Jalen is Jalen, and let's give credit to Jay Crowder too. I think Jay Crowder has brought his game after some criticism here, not because of some criticism here. Let me, let me clarify that. I'm not saying he's better because I, I you know, I got a bee in my bonnet. All I'm saying is after, I think, some tough games, particularly in that three-game slide that preceded this seven-game winning streak, Jay has brought his game up a level, That particularly that Washington game. Shot well, didn't rebound well, didn't defend well, and since that point, he's brought it. And I think that that improved rebounding from that slot, the sh- small forward position, coupled with plugging in a guy like Jalen Brown, there's just been a lot more energy, a lot more effort. I think, you know, and the game Sunday against the Clippers, I think, was a good evidence of that. I thought they really showed that's a typically a game that we always complain about, ah, uh, you know, they're <laughs> a little slow, you know, the, the afternoon starts don't seem to kind of get them going. Yeah, the Sunday doldrums, That's no right. doubt. And they showed they showed good energy throughout. And, and throughout that stretch, I think they've showed good energy. They've defended well. They've gone after the loose balls. I mean, I think that that's... That's the difference. That's the mark of this team. The team we've seen over the last seven games, not just because they've won, but the way they've played, they've they've really competed. There have been stretches where they've been a little bit lackadaisical throughout that. That's going to happen. But to me, the mark of this team throughout that seven-game winning streak is that this is a team that scraps, that hustles, that dies for loose balls, that goes you know goes and wins the 50-50 chances. That's the team we've been waiting for all season. And it's no mistake that this is why they've been successful. It's no mistake why they've defended well. Can they do it with Avery Bradley on the court? I think they can. I think they can. But if they can't, then we have to look at roster construction. We have to look at the height and sizes. We have to look at what Avery Bradley, having Bradley, Avery Bradley, let's start that again, what having Avery Bradley on the court means for the other positions and, and, and the pressure that puts on, particularly from a rebounding angle. It's interesting because early on a lot of people are looking, well, Avery Bradley is the only guy rebounding on this team. Well, that's true, but why isn't everybody else rebounding? That's that's the question that should be asked. Not that Avery Bradley is doing so good. It's why isn't everybody else doing their job? And some of their job was for for the bigs was to keep their 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 guy behind so that the guards could come back and and, and rebound the basketball. But where was Crowder? Yeah, some of it was just a matter of strategy, no doubt. And so now I think we can take a step back and say. Well, maybe that's a situation that we can, you know, now we don't need that because we've got Jalen, we've got Crowder. They're both crashing the glass, getting the board, whether it's offensive or defensive end. And we saw that a lot on in Sunday's game, but really, th- again, throughout that seven-game stretch. Yeah, I just think there's obviously an opportunity for the young players to play because Brad notices the energy, like you just said, and they're hungry. And I tweeted this out, too, but said the fact that, look, if Avery Bradley can put Ray Allen on the bench, there's no reason Jalen Brown can't put Avery Bradley on the bench. And I think there were some calls, and it wasn't about it. It wasn't about Jalen Brown putting Avery Bradley on the bench. I think it was more the Marcus Smart, Smart contingency, of which you and I do belong, yes. but said, why, why wouldn't Bradley come off the bench and Smart would start next to Isaiah Thomas, and there were some questions around that, and people insinuating that, well, politically, you just can't do that to Avery Bradley. I don't think that's true at all. I think Brad Stevens will do what's right, but at the same time, 
I don't think that Jalen Brown stays in the starting lineup when Avery Bradley comes back, especially when Avery's healthy. His last shot at returning didn't work out, but the Achilles wasn't 100% when he did come back in that game. And it is going to take two or three games to shake off the rust. Brad taking the long-term view will 100% put Bradley back into the starting lineup to just basically churn that curve as fast as possible. It's the new year, which means a fresh start for your business, and a great year starts with making great hires. But posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter, you can jumpstart your hiring in 2017 by posting your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, and that's all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No more juggling your emails or calls coming into your office. Very quickly, you can screen the candidates, rate them, and then when you're ready, hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. To try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. Blue Apron, their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals, and they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. And for less than $10 a meal, which is less expensive than going out unless you're eating McDonald's, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. And cooking together builds strong family bonds. What I love about this is you don't necessarily have to plan the meal and what ingredients do you go to the store and buy. They all come directly to your door, pre-portioned. So a lot of the hassle is taken out of it, and yet you can eat a very delicious meal, and it's way better than eating out. Customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. There's no weekly commitment. Upcoming meals is cashew chicken stir-fry with tango mandarins and jasmine rice. Roasted pork with apple, walnut, and farro salad. Crispy barramundi with quinoa and roasted carrot salad. And udon noodle soup with miso and soft-boiled eggs. I had the barramundi when I cooked uh, with Blue Apron, and it was absolutely delicious. I'd never had that fish before. I'm a big fan of quinoa as well. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping. It doesn't get better than that. Three free meals and free shipping. Go to blueapron.com com slash Celtics. You're going to love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's BlueApron.com slash Celtics Blue Apron. A better way to cook. We'll be right back after this word from Audible.com. All right, we're back. And I think John and I need to spend a little bit more time talking about Paul Pierce. I know we kicked it off a little bit, but then we went around the horn of the last week that has seen the Celtics go 4-0. But really, it was a travesty that ABC really did not understand just how crazy Celtics fans are. But I think that the other thing, has there ever been a louder, more ruckus crowd for any situation in Boston? The noise for Paul Pierce and the outpouring of love and emotion Way more than even any playoff game, I think. Yeah, I, I, you know, I wasn't there. I, could, I mean, you weren't there. I mean, we're just going by what we saw. Uh, to. You're pulling out the hyperbole card on me. I, I heard that. Well, no, I'm just saying. I mean, we're. I mean, look, I was at the. I was there. I mean, you were there during some pretty loud games. I was there the game that. that you know, basically that that said bye bye to LeBron James in Cleveland the first time around. I mean, that was as loud as I've ever heard anything. And there was anger. I think there's something to be said about a, a, a fandom that's angry. You know, um, in terms of pure love, boy, it'd be hard to top, I would think, right? I mean, that was just, it was melancholy, and yet it was, it was, 
It was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing, beautiful thing to celebrate the career of a guy who, you know, he was so ill-fitting when he came here, both as as a as a guy who was going to take Ron Mercer's minutes, you know, to kind of bring it back, a guy from L.A., um, a guy that slipped in the draft, and no one's really sure why. Um, you know, there was a lot going on there. It was the, the, all the tumult of the Rick Pitino era in and of itself. And he kind of turned that into a stew that, and we also, with the other interesting piece of this, and the early days of the show, we, we talked a little bit about this because we were just coming off the Antoine Walker years. And that was a time that, I think we saw kind of a sea change in, in the fandom of the team. You know, there was still a lot of people when Walker came around that were kind of holdovers from the Bird era. And, you know, the, this is the way the game is played. And Paul and was part of that generation that kind of transitioned from those who said, well, the 80s basketball is the only way to do it, and, and transitioned from, you know, into the ISO ball era of the early 2000s and everyone thinking that's, you know, it's my ball and everyone clear out. Now, Paul could do that. Paul was successful with that. But he also transitioned as the team got better and had guys he could pass to into this defensive team that could that could really lock anybody down. The 2008 Celtics being, in terms of single season, among the greatest teams that's ever laced them up. And... He really, he was really a guy of, of a bit of a chameleon. He changed to what the, what was required of the opportunity of, of the situation. And I think as Celtics fans, we appreciated that. He grew with us as we grew and our appreciation and love of the game changed. And that was just an amazing thing to watch from afar as, as fans. And so I think that that was what that was about is it was, it was more than just he was a guy who had a great career. He was a guy who was one of us. We were one of him, you know, and we all kind of came through this together. Paul's about the, is a little bit older than me, he's a little bit younger than you, but we all kind of came up through this, and he finished college when we were finishing college, and well, him and all Tom that. Brady, him and Tom Brady were about the same age. I'm a couple, I'm like maybe a year and a half older than each of them. Yeah, but as as we were becoming young men, you know, coming out of boyhood. There were these two players that were the same age that you were identifying with that as you began to develop your career and become a pro yourself, we sort of aligned with the players doing it at the exact same time. And so I think every generation kind of goes through that. They grow up with a player that is a similar age. And we were lucky to have very competitive teams at least at some point during that stretch. And I remember just covering the Celtics and getting the press credentials and going back in there and and doing all of that. That was, for me, uh, a big part of my own professional development. Even though I wasn't doing you know, the coverage of the team professionally, it still had a great impact on what I am now doing with my career. And... It's very similar. It's like you just become, it's like the age when you begin to realize what you're truly capable of and to watch the players do the same thing, you know, and, and what, what Kevin Garnett said is so apropos for this conversation, but anything's possible. And after that moment, we really believed it. And I would say Paul Pierce will always be my favorite Celtic just because now I grew up watching Larry Bird. You know, I, I grew up in that era. I, I loved Danny Ainge as a player, scrappy. But Paul Pierce will always be my favorite player, and it has everything to do with, you know, him being a peer, at least in terms of age group. Yeah, no, I think that's that's very true. For those of us in our in our 30s or 40s, you know, that 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 resonates. That that experience that he had resonates with us. And you know, as we were making dumb mistakes in our in our twenties, he was making dumb mistakes in his twenties. You know, he wasn't. You know, he 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 became a bit full of himself at times. And you know, who wasn't probably when they were twenty three, twenty four, twenty five years old? You know, he was handed the mantle of this of this Celtics franchise at a really young age, and 
you can see across the league and over over time, particularly over the last I'd say fifteen years, as you know, these high school players and whatnot have come in. Look at Anthony Davis right now. I mean, basically that franchise is in his hands. He's twenty three years old. He's got a world of talent, might be able to put it together, but he doesn't have the mantle of the then sixteen time world champions. The legends coming in and out. I mean, he doesn't have any of that. He doesn't have to wear that. He just has to get his team going, which is which is still a burden, not to say it's easy. But to wear that as a 23, 24, 25-year-old guy, that's not easy, man, you know? And, you know, Walker came in. And, and I'm not sure that he had good leadership either. That's what you I mean. You know, you talk about that. But, yeah, but you look at Avery Bradley and look at all the leadership he had. To be able to, now he's also, I would say, just a real upstanding young man. And I know he didn't, he transferred to Texas and he didn't come with the best reputation. But I think all <laughs> revision history now, you look at who Avery Bradley is as a person, it's hard not to respect him. Absolutely. And at the same time, he was in a very good environment. And you're 100% correct. The environment that Pierce was in really did not come around until Danny Ainge took over the to running the organization. That's right. And I and I'd say to to go further with that. I mean Paul Paul went and played for a good good college coach in Roy Williams. I mean he he played for the pedigree of Kansas. He came here and it was it was upheaval. I mean p- the Patino era was was rough. And transition to the Jim O'Brien Chris Wallace days. It didn't last long, of course, because once Wick and, and Pags bought the team, Danny comes in there's a lot of upheaval that immediately after that, Doc is in not long after that. You know, the first three, four, five years, there was a lot of ups and downs. But credit to Danny Ainge to seeing what he had in Paul Pierce and, and, and Doc and sticking with him. And, and as we talked about in those early days on the show, <laughs> JB and you and I, there was a, there, those were not easy times. There was a lot of, you know, unhappiness generally on the show with, with, the effort and and his well, Danny changing. alone. People were not convinced that Danny was the right hire for the job, even. Yeah, and the organization made a real nice shift at that time. They committed to Danny Ainge, and then Danny Ainge did what he needed to do, and then began to commit to Doc Rivers and committed to Paul Pierce. Once mm-hmm. once he had his fingerprints, and he knew Antoine Walker had to go. Once he had his fingerprints on the organization culturally, that's had carry over to this day. They would have kept Doc around for the rebuild. It was Doc that didn't want to be there. Exactly. And the conversation was open with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. I like that Paul never misses an opportunity to say that he wasn't shuttled out of town. That Danny talked to him about what they were doing, why they were considering the trade to the Nets, and the fact that Danny didn't feel like, based on the salary and the, the lack of picks and where the team was at, that they would be able to keep them competitive enough in the twilight of their careers. And so he kind of set them free. He gave Paul the opportunity to choose his destination versus Paul feeling obligated to stay in Boston and muddle through a half-and-half half rebuild. I mean, nobody would have known that they could have rebuilt this quickly but they wouldn't have if they hadn't made those moves. They never would have had the opportunity. And now you see that same commitment to Brad Stevens where it's clear he struggled for the first couple of years, but there was never a question in the front office or the organization or ownership of the Celtics about whether or not they were going to stick with Brad for the long term when they hired him. They're not looking for quick fixes. They're looking for a strategy. They're looking for committing to the key pieces uh, of moving forward, et cetera. And I think, you know, always players are available and you have to do certain things, but I think they always do it the right way. And I like that Paul made makes note of that. And they talk about Paul potentially coming back or taking on some sort of a, a front office position in the NBA somewhere. I almost feel like it's more likely that he joins Doc Rivers' staff and that Doc is setting the table for that by having Kevin Garnett be a consultant with the Clippers, but you never know. We might see Paul here back in Boston. I don't know. Do you think there's any chance that that Paul moves into a, a front office position, or do you think he 
kind of goes more the media way and becomes more of an analyst and joins TNT or something along those lines. I think Paul would be outstanding. Out freaking standing as a as an analyst. I think he'd be really good at it. Um, Last year's playoffs really absolutely. gave him an opportunity to showcase that. And and going further with that, I would say there's there's a report yesterday that Jalen Rose is going to get his own TV show. So if Jalen's doing his own show, I'm guessing he may no longer, or his his schedule may be curtailed from doing post game, pre game, all that with with uh, ESPN, who which is where Paul was doing that work. It would be a shame to have Paul and KG on separate networks, but. Lord knows ESPN needs all the help they can get uh, with their pregame and postgame shows. It'd be—I'd love to see him in that role. I, selfishly, I'd love to see him in Boston, but I think he's got too much to offer. Uh, sitting, you know, being, you know, as an assistant GM or something like that. So that you know, that's my sense of it. I, I would much just much rather see—I'd rather see Paul here. But truthfully, I think, <laughs> truthfully, uh, I'd, I'd rather see him. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> that was great. That was great. Yeah. That, <laughs> had to. I had to. <laughs> but truthfully, I, I would rather see him probably on TV because I think KG's doing great stuff. I think Paul would be similarly fascinating uh, working on the, the NBA shows, which are all based out in NBA, out in LA and in the West Coast anyway. All right. So what I absolutely loved, uh, also about Pierce's return was that he went out to dinner with Isaiah Thomas. Yes. And Paul has got a real, the reason he's good as an analyst is he's a great communicator. Yep. And they talked a lot about that, his ability to communicate on the floor. And, um, you know, went in his playing days, and every time he was mic'd up, you could hear him really, you know, just communicating with all the teammates, kind of being the captain, literally, on the floor like a linebacker is in, in you know, an NFL defense. But, uh, but the thing I loved about it is he's a real people person. When you read some of these other stories about things that, you know, were um, these stories that emerged, it was, and I think Doc highlighted it too, but just the the amount of connection he had with the organization through and through and how he built some of his routines, some really great stories when you read about that. But here he is playing for the Clippers. They're coming into Boston, and he literally goes out to dinner and spends time with Isaiah Thomas and just adds to the knowledge and passes on to Isaiah what it means to be a Celtic. You know, always a, once a Celtic, always a Celtic, you know, unless you're Glenn Davis. But... Um, or or Jr. or Jared Sullinger, but 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 for all intents and purposes, once a Celtic, always a Celtic. And I really love that he invested in Isaiah, and we really do. Before we wrap the show and look ahead at the games that are the three that are on the slate coming up here, have to just take a moment and step back and look at what Isaiah is doing right now. Because the number of forty-point games, high thirties, his scoring. Uh, average in the fourth quarter is disgusting and everybody is keying in on him and yet they still can't stop him a lot of that i and i'm gonna also say good on isaiah thomas because he's throwing love back the way of the bigs the screens that they're setting for him just double screens and just the movement back and forth and there's always somebody out on the wing who just takes it but he gets free and up and he gets the ball back it's the same scheme over and over and literally, they're executing so well, opponents can't stop it. It's 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 ridiculous. I mean, it's <laughs> he it, he's in a zone where not only are his teammates getting him open, they're making the shots when he's passing out of difficult situations. And I think we're going to see that more and more. Certainly, Toronto, the Lakers, I think the Clippers, all three of those teams really were trying to get him off, get the ball away from him. You're almost denying the ball to him and making other team, other players beat him. Meanwhile, the Celtics go three and zero with those games, so that doesn't hurt. I mean, he averaged thirty seven, almost thirty eight points a game uh, last week, uh, being named Player of the Week this year. This week, after one week after being named Player of the Month uh, in January, I mean, he had the two straight 
40-point games, was only two points away from a third straight 40-point game, something no Celtic had ever done. He's playing just at such a absurdly high level. You know, you, you do have to sit back and, and say, well, you know, sit back and be like, well, maybe you can't bring in a guy like Markel Fultz. Maybe you can't. Maybe you have to at least let those conversations creep into your mind. I don't think you do. I think you still try to get the best players you can and, and, and work it out. But, wow. I mean, just so dominant, making all the shots, reading the situations, finding the open guy. I mean, he's doing everything. And I think his defense actually has has gone up a step, too. I the idea that, and we saw this after that three-game losing streak too, where he's starting to hear some of those conversations, oh, they're failing because Isaiah's on the court and everyone else can defend and they're so much better when he's not out there. That's just such a, you know, I think that was, there's other reasons for that. It wasn't about Isaiah. It was the whole five on the court. But I think he's showing a lot more activity on the defensive end and trying to be at least a little bit more of a pest. Yeah, he is. It's almost like you do see him challenging shots. And I think one of the other things that Tommy said, that I, or he said maybe a week or two ago during one of the games, that Isaiah just needs to get up and underneath yeah. some of those taller. Well, everybody's a taller offensive player when he's on defense pretty much. But, but, but he wasn't necessarily getting up underneath. Yeah. A lot of times he was putting his hand up and he was trying to get in the, what they love to call now the airspace. I hate that. I don't like that one, but they call it the airspace <laughs> now. And Isaiah Thomas really is not going to get up into the airspace. He needs to body them up on D a little bit the way he does when he is trying to draw a foul and create space when he's finishing at the rim. He makes contact, he gets a little bit of separation, and then he finishes. He almost has to take the same attitude when he's on defense and get up under the guy and and force them to stop being able to move. And if he can do that, good on him. But even then, he does still challenge shots when he's out of position or he's doing a closeout. It does look to me like he's making more of an effort, which is really incredible when you consider the scoring load that he's shouldering. Totally. I would say I think that's I I, I noticed that very same comment and what I would what I would say before what he was trying to do is that he was trying to defend like he's six seven. You know, a six seven guy can contest from a couple feet away. A six a five nine guy has got to be right next to him with his hand up, you know, being able to, to really bother from below as opposed to, okay, I you know, I gave you some space, now I'm gonna close out on you from from those few steps away. He, he's just got to be a little bit tighter to him. That's that's all there is to it. But, you know, I think also what will help with that is the bigger load that, of the offense that's been in Marcus Smart's hands through this seven-game stretch. Marcus has been able to take a lot more of the ball handling, allowing Isaiah to work off the ball a little bit, which takes a lot of stress off Marcus's, uh, off of Isaiah's hands, uh, takes, takes the energy and effort off of Isaiah. So while he is doing superhuman feats, He's not having to also do the mundane and, and, and the running the team and guy, running guys through their sets. That, that helps. I mean, that, that allows Isaiah to be Isaiah a little bit more of the time and perhaps give a little bit more effort on the defensive end. I think that's probably more of an importance than having Avery Bradley out there as another shooter who can, you know, open things up a little bit for him. I think there's, I mean, I'm not trying to create the the Marcus Smart versus Avery Bradley comparison so much, but just yeah, like, but well, but, no, but in terms of fit, yes. you've already outlined it. It's yes. pretty clear. Yes, and to your point, Avery is not going to take, even though he's handled the ball a little bit more this year, and we've seen that progression. Yeah. He's not making the he's not playmaking the way that Marcus Smart does, and just Lord, no. just to tie the Isaiah Thomas and Paul Pierce connection up into a nice little bow so that we can preview next week's games. I'll just say Paul saying that Isaiah is definitely a Boston Celtic. He's hopefully going to be in green for a long time to come. And the only way they win championships in that scenario is if the mix of players is right. And Isaiah gets to focus on doing what he does best and giving at least to your point and this discussion some effort or being able to impact defensively to his greatest ability and having him be exhausted, having to shoulder the entire offense is too much. So 
you're 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 on the money there. The other thing I wanted to say, Chad Finn was out in Houston for the Super Bowl, but I loved this tweet from Chad. He said, "Anyway, I'm at the Super Bowl and tweeting about Paul Pierce. Don't think outsiders know what he truly means to Celtics fans." And that that right there is the mother effing truth. That is the case, and it's also crazy the way that Celtics fans, you know, even during uh, and even and the media have just loved Paul Pierce, and there's no finer moment than the media clapping at the end of Paul Pierce's final post game interview as a player in Boston. Just really a classy move by the media. And I'm glad the media doesn't always put that out there. I'm really glad they did. I'm glad. I'm glad that got out because that that's pretty classy. And I think Paul always treated the media with a great deal of respect. I don't recall him getting uh, getting into it at all with the media during his time. Antoine Walker had some run-ins, but I don't think Paul really. I know he had the bandage wrap and maybe yeah. nationally took some criticism here and there, but I don't remember there being any like personality conflicts. And that's another parallel to Isaiah. Isaiah's ability to work with the media is almost Doc Rivers-like. Yeah, no, I think that that definitely serves both of those guys pretty well in their ability to navigate that. Because let's be honest, I mean, Rajon Rondo before the knee injury, you know, had the potential of of being you know this Isaiah Thomas level player, and maybe not the shooter, but certainly in other areas and. His inability to navigate that portion of the job made his job so much harder. And I think that's, that's kind of what it's about is that those parts are part of that job. And, and as a player, you can't simply treat, play, treat the reporters in such a way where now there's constant criticism and you have to deal with that. The, the talk radio and all that. Whereas Isaiah just sits back, smiles, does his thing. He's still a killer. He's still just as much of a killer as Rajon Rondo was. But the difference was is that he was able to make nice with the media. The media get out of his way. He does his thing. They celebrate him. And, and it's going to work out for him well. you know. And that makes a big difference. Rondo, I think he built enemies through the media. And that can really hurts you not only on the court but off yeah it definitely can because the more established media members have relationships with the coaches in the front office absolutely and you can plant seeds there's no doubt all right john so we're coming up on the end of the show let's take a look at the three games ahead on the slate for this week coming up they get a little bit of break two days off after the sunday matchup against the clippers so the first one this week will be against demarcus cousins heading into the trade deadline see how i did that yeah. That's Wednesday. Nice. Then on the second night, that was smooth. That, that was, was super smooth. Very good. On the second night of a back-to-back, again on the road, a little West Coast trip here. They're going to be in Portland facing the Trailblazers. And then on Saturday, they play the Utah Jazz. Another matchup. This, I think, is their third of the season, correct? Uh, with Utah? This is... Isn't it their third, no. or is this only two? This, this I thought the they only one. played twice, but I feel like they played three times for some reason. Nope, so. nope. Everybody in the West is two times and out. So that's uh, what I thought. This but is I got confused. So series, yeah. we got the Nurkic and the Jokic potential trade targets there as well. So little little wait, bit wait, of wait. Uh, Denver. They're, those guys are Denver. Oh, Denver. That's right. That's why I got confused. There you no, go. you're right. They only played once. Yes. Hayward in Boston. Right. That was the one. Uh, our Crowder boy Crowder was... gets a little upset. Yes. There you go. Right. Hey, wouldn't it be awesome if the Utah Jazz? cheered uh, Jay Crowder a little bit. <laughs> well, his dad, Corey, played for them, oddly enough, uh, back in the 80s. There you so, go. You know, it is kind of a, you know, odd thing there. But, yeah, it's, a, it's, I think this is, this is the first kind of time, extended time on the road they've had since December, really. They, they had a really long stretch of home games, and now they're going to have four in a row before a quick, Home home run, and then they're going to be back on the road for three more. So, you know, playing you know eight, seven out of the next eight games on the road is not going to be easy, and it's going to be a test for where the Celtics sit in the in the standings here. Now, second in the second seed, only two games back of the Cleveland Cavaliers in number one. Uh, which who would have thought we'd be in that position at this point of the year? It's it's a tough stretch though. They've won seven in a row. 
They've got Sacramento, Portland, and Utah. I'm going to say two and one on the on the trip. I think they're going to beat Sacramento. I think they can beat Portland because I think Portland is a, is a is a is a is a good is a good team. But I think that they're going to have some revenge on their mind. They did not play well when they played Portland earlier in in January. But Utah's good, and I, I think they felt like they could have been playing a lot better in that game that was uh, in Boston here a couple of weeks back. I'm going to say it's going to be two and one, just because I think Utah's they're going to break the string at, at nine games. Uh, but then the Celtics could go on another run after that. So uh, with Utah, but that's next week. I'm going two and one, J- Justin. Where are you? All right, I, I'm going to go one and two. And Whoa. the reason is I think Portland gets them on the West Coast swing on the second night of a back-to-back. And then I think you're right. I think Utah ends up being kind of a nail-biter. But ultimately, Utah walks away winners. Last week, you said 4-0 yes. that they would go on that seven-game win streak. And you were right. I'm falling off of my successful predictions. I hope it's 2-1. and one. I like where they sit in the standings. But I, I think it might be 1-2. and two. I don't see them having any trouble with the Kings at this point. They seem to be humming along. It'll be the first uh, first game of the West Coast trip, so I don't think the jet lag really catches up with them yet. But by the time they've done a back, by the time they're in Portland and they're on the second night of that back to back, I think it starts to hit them. And even with Friday off and Utah just being really uh, the one of the class of the West Coast West Western Conference. They've really emerged. They have a very similar record to the Celtics and will be very probably within a game of each other when they do match up on Saturday. But I think Utah still sneaks it out. I think you're right. I think there could be a nice win streak to follow that. But they've tended, they've tended to do things in bunches, and I think this might be a little mini bunch of losses for them. And then who knows? We'll come back next week and talk all about it. And hopefully you're right again because I like it when you're right. You went 4-0. Now you're going two and one. That I would prefer that you be correct. I have, but remember, I have a little bit of a. Uh, I can go up and down on these things, and I was pretty sour after some of those losses. But hey, look, I mean, if they're winning, we're all happy. Uh, the Celtics are in second place. The Nets are far and away the worst team in the league, and it doesn't seem that's going to abate at all. I mean, things couldn't be couldn't be better. And the only question is, will this roster look the same way uh, on February 24th uh, after the trade deadline as it does today? And that's the only thing that will in, in, you know, impact where they are. I wonder if the Raptors will make a run at somebody. I, I've got to feel like they're going to try to to get their kind of act back together. They've slid back. You know, right now the Celtics are are right there, and I will say the Wizards have played very well. The Celtics played. Tough against the Wizards, but really came came up short and didn't didn't show very well. There's a lot of the power rankings that have come out here from this weekend and have the Wizards ahead of the Celtics, even though the Celtics were the two seed. So it's something to keep your keep our eye on. I'd be interested to see how these Wizards do. I like our Celtics chances against the Wizards, honestly. But as we're kind of going ahead, I think the Wizards, the Raptors, the Celtics, and even the Cavs, those four teams, how they fall here over the next week to two weeks will say a lot about where we're going to go in terms of trades and who's going to be maybe making a bit more of a advanced push to maybe give up a little more in trade to try to get that that guy they need to to maybe get the Eastern Conference Finals or who knows maybe even beat the Cavs. Well, things are definitely heating up. We've got the conversations, and who knows maybe by the time this is broadcast, it'll already be a done deal between the Pelicans and the 76ers, but things are heating up. There's going to be a lot of rumors. There's going to be a lot of precursor trades, and then things, you know there's just a lot of leveraging going on right now. It stands to be an exciting couple of weeks leading up to February 23rd, and we'll be back next week to really get into it. I'm sure some deals will be done and more rumored on the way. That's going to do it for the show. The broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as clnsradio.com. Don't forget, follow us on Twitter, at CSL underscore Justin. That's me, at CSL underscore Duke. That's John. A big thank you for everybody to tuning in. You can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Give us a rating and a review. Your feedback is very important to us, and today's show 
brought to you by numerous sponsors. That's right, ZipRecruiter.com, BlueApron.com, and Audible.com. Three great sponsors that continue to keep Celtic Stuff Live moving forward. Make sure that you support them. They have a great deal for all of you listeners, but most importantly, like I said, you'd be supporting our show, getting us back here each and every single week, as well as the entire CLNS radio network. A big thanks to the audience who makes it all worthwhile. And for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poole, and thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.